You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. If you've tried to catch a boat regularly lately, you know Washington State's ferry system is struggling. Many vessels are 40 to 50 years old. The Tillicum is 63 years old. Just 14 of the agency's 21 ships are currently sailing. A third of the fleet is out of service. Several routes are on reduced service or running smaller boats. During the busiest times, like this past Thanksgiving weekend... That means bottlenecks and long waits for passengers. And that's just one of the issues facing the largest ferry fleet in the country. Persistent staffing shortages and supply chain issues have unmoored a network people rely on for commutes and to connect with the mainland for necessities like grocery stores or medical care. So how did things get to this point and what's being done to fix it? I'm joined now by the Ferry Systems Deputy Assistant Secretary Nicole McIntosh. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Libby. Thank you for having me. So I want to start out with some of the news from Washington, D.C. The ferry system is going to get a $4.8 million federal grant from the Federal Transit Administration. And just curious off the bat, what's the money for? Well, as you may know, we need to keep our vessels running for 60 years. And we've had undergone a long period of underinvestment in those vessels. So so this money was specifically awarded to take our vessels, our Issaquah-class vessels that are around 40 years old, and improve the, the interior of those vessels. Because, again, we need to keep them running until they're at least 60 years old. So it's an interior refurbishment. That means where passengers sit? Yeah, passenger spaces, restrooms, seating. I don't know all the details, and that could vary vessel by vessel, but that's the general idea, Uh, painting. Got it. And when the Issaquah-class ferries are getting this interior refurbishment, I can feel a lot of folks who rely on the ferry system wondering, uh, are they going to be taken out of service, and is this going to affect service? Or is this work that's going to be done simultaneously with the (laughs) mechanical work that needs to be done? That's a great question, and I I think the details uh, still need to be worked out, but it would be our goal not to pull a boat out of service to do more cosmetic work. Our vessels need uh, a lot of preservation and maintenance in the engine spaces and the exterior, so the goal would be to combine that work with, with the already needed preservation work. Got it. Well, let's talk big picture, because the ferries have been going through a lot of issues lately. Staffing shortages have been a big problem in recent years. Right now, though, mechanical problems seem to be sort of floating to the surface as as your number one challenge. A third of the fleet is out of service. The Chimicum is one of the system's newer boats, but that was docked in late October after a rod broke in an engine. So what is the status right now of the ferry system? What are your number one challenges to getting boats and getting crossings on time? Our biggest challenge is vessels. Second biggest is crewing. What we're doing is we're proactively maintaining our vessels. As I mentioned, we have a a historical backlog of maintenance, and we didn't build ferries for 10 years in the early 2000s. That, that's catching up with us. So we have right now seven vessels out uh, of service, five of which are, are undergoing planned maintenance and preservation. And you mentioned the Chimicum, then the, the Walla Walla is two of our vessels that are undergoing unplanned maintenance. The Chimicum having a catastrophic engine failure and the Walla Walla 
having 50-year-old props and those failing. We have some, you know, good news. Those are both in the shipyards right now, and we expect to get the Walla Walla back by Christmas. So we should be able to restore Edmonds to, to two boats. And then as we look forward and plan for 2024 and beyond, you know, looking to see what is the next route we can reliably restore. How long have you been with the ferry service, Nicole? And have you ever seen this many of the boats out of service? Well, I've been with the ferry service for 30 years now. Wow. Yeah, I I did start over on the terminal engineering side. So really, I came over into the operating side of the house about 2019. I think I can safely say I've never seen this uh, many vessels out of service. So when the Chimicum went out in late October, you mentioned that the Edmonds-Kingston route was affected. It went down to one boat. When you're making those kinds of calculations, one boat goes down, you have to move another boat around in order to have any kind of service on on that affected route. How do you prioritize where the boats are going to be moved from? We really looked into that back in 2022 after the pandemic, and we took all of our service down to essentially almost one one boat service everywhere we figured out how is the the best way to start bringing back those service and who has priority, which routes. So we we did focus on those islands. So the San Juan Islands are pretty important, as well as Vashon Island. They rely on ferry system. They can't drive around per se. They have no other option but Washington State ferries to get to their appointments and goods and services to their islands. So those are higher up on the priority. And then and then we really looked at ridership, you know, how many people rely on the service and their ability to detour, drive around. So Bainbridge Island has a very large ridership. So Bainbridge Island is prioritized over, say, Edmonds and Kingston. So mm-hmm. when we were restoring routes, uh, it was Anacortes, Bainbridge, then Muckleteo, and then Edmonds. So at this point, we have a, a shortage of vessels. We're going to take from those routes in that reverse order. Yeah. I was going to say Southworth, too, but I suppose the Southworth route is includes Vashon, which people <laughs> cannot drive around for Vashon. Exactly, exactly. They they do have three boats that serve Vashon Island. Ideally, we would have four boats serving that, but we have not been able to do that at this point mm. reliably. So as you're working on all of these mechanical failures, again, seven boats out of service, um, what is the situation with dry dock space? Do you have enough slots to work on the ferries that need work done? Well, that was one of the issues we had with the Walla Walla going out. We actually had it up on dry dock and a more pressing pre-scheduled vessel was needed. So we had to, to move, move the vessel to a, to a different dry dock. So the dry dock space is definitely an issue in the Puget Sound. We have limited options and we're competing really with, with the Navy and, and other ships. What I can say is right now we, we have the space and, and we're utilizing it uh, to the best that we can. We talk about the number of boats that are, you know, 50, even 60 years old in the Washington State ferry fleet. But that Chimicum boat, I mean, it came on, what, in the mid-2000s, right? I mean, should a boat like that need repairs this early? Or is that just the cost of doing business and we're feeling it so much more because there's no slack in the system? As with anything, things break down. Even new vehicles 
they break down. We have issues. So unfortunately, this happened, and in, in it's right. You're right. It's one of the newer vessels that we, we do have. But we, we do put our vessels through a demanding schedule. They're running 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, imagine driving your car 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Something's going to break. Uh, we have engineers, very trained engineers on the vessels 24-7, maintaining, observing, but things do happen, unfortunately. So while the ferry system is working to just keep enough boats in service to keep those routes operating that people depend on, there are these big goals that the state has set, and that's to replace all the ferries with electric vessels or to retrofit existing boats to make them hybrid electric. What's the progress like on the goal of electrifying the ferry fleet? Well, this is pretty exciting. We have a mandate by 2040, we need to reduce our emissions by 70%. The Wenatchee uh, being one of three Jumbo Mark II vessels of our 21 vessel fleet, they represent 25% of the fuel usage. So the Wenatchee is out right now. The reason um, the timing is because, uh, we, again, we need to keep our vessels in service for 60 years. The Wenatchee was due for a propulsion upgrade. So we took the opportunity as they are going in for propulsion upgrades to also upgrade to hybrid. So essentially we're removing two of the four diesel engines and replacing those with batteries. That vessel is scheduled to come out of work there in next summer. And that represents about $8 million of fuel a year uh, that once we have shoreside charging, uh, we can expect to save. So that's the Jumbo Mark II part of our electrification. And we also are building new vessels, new hybrid Olympics. So thanks to the legislature and the governor, a few years ago, we received funds to start our new build program. We're going out next week for a request for information because the legislature recently allowed us to look nationwide for shipbuilders. So we're going to be looking for interest for that, and we plan to uh, issue bids in spring of next year, be under contract by summer, and our first new hybrid Olympic-class vessel should roll out in early 2028. So early 2028 for the first round of new electric vessels. One, the Wenatchee is being retrofitted right now. What's the timeline for the rest of the fleet, the 20 other boats to be retrofitted in order to meet that 2040 goal? Or however many will be in service by 2040. I'm sure some of them will be pulled off the line by then. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah, we, we are planning to retire some. We do have a 63-year-old vessel, the Tilikum. We don't plan to retrofit that one. That will just get retired. We're on our way. We have funding right now, like you say, for five new vessels and two retrofits. So as we progress down the line, we'll need to ask for funding to replace the additional vessels. And we have another four vessels that we have targeted that we can go ahead and refurbish. But the rest will be new vessels and replacing those aging and retiring vessels. I know people who live in the islands and the San Juan Islands, Vashon Island, you know, around the Sound, love the environment and they care so much about their commutes becoming better for the climate. But I also can feel that they are going through a lot of pain waiting in ferry lines or having to drive around. And 
my question is, how will the retrofits go forward without disrupting service too much? As I mentioned before, we are working very hard to plan this work out. Uh, We have to look at shipyard availability. We need to look at our maintenance staff's availability. Every vessel that we are running have inspections that expire once a year. They need to be inspected by the Coast Guard. So that's a timing issue. We know how many vessels that we need for our core service and for summer service. So that is a factor that we take into effect, as well as what vessels can cover other vessels when we take one out and put it in for maintenance. So there's a lot that goes into the planning. And we're we're currently planning 2024 right now, knowing the vessels that have to come out, have to have dry docks. All of our vessels need to come out uh, once a year for their inspections. So the goal is to space those out and level those out so that we can continue with the service that we have. In terms of service for 2024, we're we're undergoing contingency planning right now. And that will be out the end of this year. So it's really going to lay out where we are and what we need to do to increase the reliability and then trial do some trial restorations on our other routes. And when you say contingency planning, is that customer facing for riders to know, okay, if my ferry has a problem, if suddenly it loses steering and kind of floats on into Bainbridge Island again or something, I don't mean to make light of it, but if something bad happens, I will know where the next boat is coming from or I will have a sense of what the fallback is. Because I think that's one thing that's really frustrated folks is, We don't know when, but we know the ferries will have mechanical problems. But then riders who need to get to doctor's appointments, who need to get to their jobs, they don't know what happens next. Right. No, and that's exactly the the type of thing that we will be posting in our service contingency plan. We'll post that on our website. But in terms of the, the, the near term, you know, we do have an app that I would encourage those that want to use Washington State Ferries to be to be looking at. Those frequent riders can sign up for our uh, rider alerts that alert them when we have an issue and what they can expect to see when they come down to the dock. Our website is up to date with those alerts. So I would encourage folks to really try to stay engaged with us. We do have a presence on X, formerly Twitter, so that we can ensure that our customers are aware of what we're doing pretty close to as we're doing it. I'm talking with Nicole McIntosh, Deputy Assistant Secretary at Washington State Ferries. She's been with the ferry system for three decades, very knowledgeable about the ins and outs of the boats and what's happening with the system. Nicole, we've been talking a little bit about boat building and the fact that the state has recently made it easier to get bids from outside of Washington in order to build new boats. And you're going to open up the bidding process next year, hopefully to get new ferries online in early 2028. The state's relationship with the only really viable local boat builder for many years called Vigor fell apart. And David Croman with the Seattle Times has done some amazing reporting on this. I really encourage people to read up on that. The state walked away as the price tag for new boats that Vigor was supposed to build ballooned to more than double to $400 million. Vigor used to be a local company, but it was bought by the Carlisle Group, a private equity firm, and things got really complicated. 
I want to talk about where you can get bids from, though, because even looking around the country, so domestic U.S. makers, the number of boat builders in America has just plummeted. And you are not able to take bids from overseas. That's a federal restriction. That's not the case in Canada. B.C. Ferries, for example, got 18 bids from all around the world to build new boats. Is there an appetite for lobbying Congress to change federal law so that Washington state ferries could get bids from overseas and potentially see those boats built faster and cheaper? Yeah, that's a a great question. And and you're spot on. We're not doing that at this time. What we are focusing on is making sure that we can, in fact, build these vessels. We've had several shipyards across the country already show an interest. We're encouraged that not only we can roll out not only one vessel in 2028, but possibly even two because of the engagement with the shipbuilding industry that we have done to this point in the nation. The San Juan County and Friday Harbor councils published an open letter earlier this month asking for some changes to the Anacortes San Juan Island routes. They say the situation is critical right now for island residents. These islands, they're seeing serious impacts to their economy, according to their elected officials, and people are not getting to important medical appointments. And they put forward a number of short-term recommendations for Washington State Ferries in this open letter. And that included priority medical loading, support for establishing a passenger-only ferry between the islands, and also establishing a reliable emergency schedule. We've sort of talked about that already. What's the answer been from Washington State Ferries to these suggestions? Well, first of all, we really appreciate the engagement from the communities. We've not only heard from the San Juans, we've heard from Vashon and Bremerton and others. And it's nice to see that folks are coming to the table with solutions. So we really appreciate working with our communities. We have improved our medical priority loading procedures and that has gone into effect most recently. And that has come about from community input. So we are engaging. We look forward to hearing ideas about what to do in emergency situations up in the islands. The the community has come up with several ideas of how they can really help folks out in those times. So we're we're engaged and, and we're looking to partner with those communities. What about that idea on the passenger-only ferries? I've taken the fast ferry between the Kitsap Peninsula and downtown Seattle, and it's pretty great. I mean, a lot of folks, you know, can use that if they're able to connect with other transit on the other side of the ride. Can more of those smaller-scale boats potentially help ease the overloaded Washington State ferry system? Sure, and we engage with our passenger-only partners quite a bit. Kitsap Transit, for example, in Bremerton, we only have one vessel servicing Bremerton to Seattle, and so Kitsap Transit has stepped up and is providing additional service to help ease that burden. We don't have currently any passenger-only providers up in the San Juan Islands. We do have four vessels that are uh, operating pretty reliably up there right now. We are undergoing an effort to look at the schedules. So it's all um, all issues that we continue to work on. We are not uh, legislatively able to provide passenger only. Of course, that, that can always change. Hmm. 
I wonder why legislatively you're not able to do that. Is it because you're part of the highway system? Well, uh, actually, back back a while ago, we did operate passenger only, and, and we were actually expanding that service. It is quite expensive to run. So at that time, the legislature said, you know, we're going to give these services to the locals to run. They can They can tax themselves and pay for the service in that way and not burden the state of Washington. Let's talk about staffing. I know we touched on it earlier. There was a big you know, issue during the pandemic nowadays because it's not as acceptable, frankly, to work sick, which is probably a good thing. But also that means you have a lot of more people calling out sick. What is the current staffing need at Washington State Ferries? Well, what I can tell you is we have gotten funding uh, in the last few sessions. Our biggest need back when the pandemic started, you know, we noticed that those folks that we had been flagging for, they're going to be retiring in the next five years. We need to we need to get some funding to recruit some more people. They, in fact, retired uh, during the pandemic. So we frankly didn't have the pipeline of people to get to those license levels. And I'm talking right now, the captains and mates. Mm-hmm. In the past, people were able to do that on their own time, take classes, pay for it on their own dime while being employed with Washington State Ferries. And, and frankly, people just aren't able to do that so much anymore. Single parents can't be expected to come to work for 40 hours a week and then go go to school or take our routes as pilotage routes. So we receive funding to take those ABs or able-bodied sailors and pay them to take the classes. So their full-time job is to take classes so they can get their mate's license. And then the next step is to pay those folks. Once they get their mate's license, they have to ride all of our routes, draw all of the charts for the Coast Guard, for their pilotage, what's called their pilotage, that we pay them to do that now. We've had, so we've had 27 people go through that, that pilotage program, and those are folks ready to become mates for the Washington State Ferries specifically. So we are slowly building uh, back our, our crewing levels. I just want to get back to, you know, our original conversation about you haven't seen it this bad with seven boats out of service out of 21, a third of the fleet down because of mechanical issues. These boats have been allowed to get really, really old without a backup plan. How did that happen? And I know it's hard. You're not in a position, you're not a politician, you're not in a position to point fingers. But I think when you're sitting in that ferry line or you're seeing that you're going to have to drive an extra three hours around or whatever, People just are frustrated, and they want to know why. Why did it get this bad? I have to to point back at uh, 20-some years ago. We had a dedicated revenue source, and that went away. And we have really been clamoring ever since to get the funding to replace vessels. I mentioned we went 10 years without getting funding to replace vessels. It takes a long time to design and build a vessel, so when you are not building for, for 10 years, it's really hard to catch up. I don't want to point fingers. There were other state priorities that honestly took precedent. 
we were delivering. We were, you know, 99% reliability, 99% on time rate. So it's hard to look ahead and say, hey, we're going to need millions of dollars here to help us in the future. It, it's hard to justify sometimes. And unfortunately, we're, we're, we are where we are. The legislature and the governor recognize that we need funding in order to get us out of the situation that we're in now. And I, and I can say that they have all stepped up and I really appreciate it. Um, we all appreciate it. And we are in a position now where we have the right funded projects and the right programs in place to start to restore and then most importantly, sustain our service into the future. Do you mind if I just end on a really sort of a, a fluffy but fun question that we got from a listener, Nicole? I would love to. Okay, great. It's a question from Jill in Port Orchard, and she asks, does Washington State Ferries allow people to get married on their boats, and can a ferry captain marry somebody? We actually do allow uh, people to get married on our vessels. (laughs) Really? We We do, yes. I don't believe our ferry captains do the um, ceremony because they're usually steering the ship. But yeah, we've had several proposals on the vessels and there's nothing to stop people from getting married. You have to pay to go across the ferry, though, of course. Even if you're getting married on the boat, you actually have to pay the uh, the right. fee to go across. Okay. That's so right. folks, you know, uh, heading up to the observation deck or something, you might stumble into a wedding at some point. <laughs> Potentially. You, you never know. Let, it, let, let us know, though, and we could probably make it even better for you. Nicole McIntosh, thank you very much. And, you know, I know you've spent a long time as a public servant, you know, helping to get people where they need to go. And this is a really tough time for the ferry system. And I hear it in your voice. I do appreciate your work and your transparency explaining what's going on. Appreciate that, Libby. And I do want to give a shout out to the about 2,000 employees of ours that are working hard every day to make sure our customers get to where they need to go safely. And did you catch what Nicole said about ferries losing its dedicated revenue source? That takes us back a couple of decades to a familiar voice from 1999. Uh, What our initiative does is it makes it a flat rate $30 to license your car, your truck, motorcycle, motorhome, RV, camper, travel trailer. Makes no difference what kind of vehicle you own. You pay a flat rate $30 per year. That was Tim Eyman, anti-tax crusader and former gubernatorial candidate. In 99, he was making the case for I-695, which voters approved that year. Again, the initiative capped car tab fees at $30. Washington's ferry system was a direct beneficiary of taxes associated with car tabs. After I-695 passed, the ferry system at the time said its operating budget would be cut by around 20 percent. Lower car tabs also greatly diminished the agency's capital budget, part of which went toward new boats and maintenance. Obviously, the state legislator has had a lot of time to adjust to that new budget picture, but that's a conversation for another day. We'll continue to keep in touch with Washington State Ferries as they work to restore service. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org.